You're in the water loop. Tuesday, March 14th, and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is about to announce drinking water regulations for PFAS, for two PFAS, PFOA, PFOS. The entire environmental community, water community, public health community has been really waiting for this moment. This is huge for water. I am here in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, on the campus of the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. U.S. EPA Administrator Michael Regan is actually here to make this announcement today. That shows what big news this is. Expecting tremendous reaction from across those sectors I mentioned. What are these numbers going to be? What's the science that has set those numbers? What's this gonna mean for drinking water utilities and what they have to do to treat water? How does the environmental community feel about this? What action does it help them call for? What does this mean for all the other PFAS in the environment that comes from consumer goods, household products, industrial discharges? You know, there's, there's a lot of other ways that PFAS gets out there. How are those gonna be addressed? So very interested to bring this conversation to you all. Uh, it's also quite amazing for me personally to be sitting here for this announcement. I went to the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, graduated many years ago, moved away from Wilmington, worked at EPA, actually in the water office for six years, including on the initial health advisories for PFAS. I moved back to Wilmington in the summer of 2017 when the news broke that the Cape Fear River was polluted by PFAS. And so I've kind of lived in that story for the past six years. And now I'm sitting here today while EPA comes to my town to announce national drinking water standards for PFAS. So it's quite a bizarre journey, but I'm excited to, to share it with you. Uh, next, we're going to go to this uh, event, this press conference, and hear from Administrator Regan about these numbers. We're gonna bring you that announcement, bring you some other interviews, some other commentary. So looking forward to it. Welcome to Waterloop. Good morning. I want to thank Emily for that introduction, and I want to thank her for her steadfast leadership and dedication on addressing PFAS contamination across the state and across the nation. I truly, truly appreciate her. As always, it feels good to be back in my home state. There's no place like North Carolina. The people are kind, they look out for one another, and they're deeply committed to the community's well-being, as you can see in Emily's opening. Secretary Beiser, thank you for your continued leadership and your laser focus on reducing PFAS pollution in the state of North Carolina. And Mayor Sappho, thank you for welcoming back once again to your city. We've worked together from day one on tackling PFAS pollution in our communities, and I continue to be grateful for Mayor Sappho's leadership. I'd also like to thank the EPA career staff, led by Radhika Fox, Assistant Administrator for the Office of Water for their outstanding work and for making this day possible. For decades, PFAS have been widely used in industry and consumer products. Commonly known as forever chemicals, they can be found in everything from nonstick pans to cleaning and personal care products. It's the resilient and durable qualities that make these chemicals so useful in everyday life but it's also what makes them particularly harmful to people in the environment. 
What began as a so-called miracle, groundbreaking technology, meant for practicality and convenience, quickly devolved into one of the most pressing environmental and public health concerns in the modern world. These toxic chemicals are so pervasive and so long lasting in the environment that they've been found in food, soil, and water, even in the most remote corners of our planet. These chemicals can accumulate in the body over time, and we know that long-term exposure to certain types of PFAS have been linked to serious illnesses, including cancer, liver damage, and high cholesterol. Now I know firsthand the complex challenges that come along with addressing PFAS. During my time as Secretary of North Carolina DEQ, almost immediately after being confirmed, I was confronted with what would become one of the most challenging issues of my career. Dr. Kanapi, an engineer, an engineering professor at North Carolina State, and his students were conducting water sampling in the Cape Fear River when they discovered the presence of a toxic chemical compound known as Gen X. As you all know, the Cape Fear River provides drinking water for approximately one and a half million people. It didn't take long to discover that Camores, a chemical manufacturing company in Fayetteville, have been deliberately polluting the air and water with these chemicals for decades. And to make matters worse, for all those years, no one was there to hold that company accountable. For decades, no one was there to put a stop to their negligent and indiscriminate pollution. Imagine what it feels like to be told the water flowing through your tap is contaminated. For decades, the water that you drink, the water that you use to brush your teeth and bathe your children. As the parent of a young child, this news was infuriating. And as DEQ secretary, I knew that tackling this crisis would not be easy, but that we had to address this issue head on. So we immediately revoked Camorra's discharge permit. We then issued a consent order to hold Camorra's accountable, resulting in the largest fine against a corporate polluter in North Carolina's history. Unfortunately, untold stories of unchecked pollution are still happening in communities all across this country. But thanks to President Biden's leadership, one of my first actions was establishing the EPA Council on PFAS. Despite previous administration's anti-science stance, which severely strained EPA's financial and human capital, I charged this council with undertaking a comprehensive review of the problem and identifying solutions that we could implement immediately. In October of 2021, we released our PFAS Strategic Roadmap, a strategy that's guided by President Biden's whole of government approach to delivering clean water for all. Last November, we shared a one-year progress report right here in North Carolina that underscores the incredible work we've accomplished since 2021. From proposing to designate two PFAS as circular hazardous substances to beginning to distribute $10 billion in funding to address emerging contaminants. Thanks again to President Biden's unprecedented, uh, unprecedented commitment to investing in America's drinking water. And so today, I am thrilled to announce that EPA is taking yet another bold step to protect public health. I'm so proud to announce that EPA is proposing the first ever national standard to protect communities from PFAS and drinking water. This is something that communities like Wilmington have been demanding for years, and today we are finally answering those calls. Specifically, EPA is proposing to establish legally enforceable levels 
for six PFAS known to occur in drinking water. Through this proposed rule, our agency is leveraging the most recent science and building on existing state efforts to combat harmful PFAS pollution. When finalized, this proposed regulation will require public water systems to monitor these chemicals. It will also require systems to notify the public and reduce the levels of these PFAS as prescribed. Folks, this is a tremendous step forward in the right direction. We anticipate that when fully implemented, this rule will prevent thousands of deaths and reduce tens of thousands of serious PFAS-related illnesses. As EP Administrator, I've had the privilege of traveling all across this great nation. I've visited big cities, small towns, and everything in between. And I can say with certainty that nothing is more gratifying than seeing firsthand how the work of this agency and state and local government brings real and lasting impacts to real people. All people deserve clean air to breathe and clean water to drink and the opportunity to live a healthy and fulfilled life. And that's why the decisions we're making today are so vital because they have consequences that will last for generations. I also recognize that combating such major issues like PFAS require every single level of government and every single agency, from state, local, and tribal to federal, committing to work together and act intentionally to overcome one of our greatest challenges. While this proposal is a bold step forward, there is no doubt, as Emily has indicated, that there's more work left to be done. Folks across this country deserve real solutions. They deserve clean air and water and a government that is, is committed to ensuring that they have access to those. In everything we do at EPA, from addressing PFAS to advancing environmental justice, we will put people and communities first. We're committed to fighting for people and communities every single day, and we're not stopping till every single person is provided the same basic and fundamental rights and protections. Thank you all. I had the opportunity to ask Administrator Regan a couple questions during the media Q&A portion of the event. The first question I asked him was about how funding was going to be addressed for the nation's water utilities that were going to need to test for and treat for PFAS under these regulations. President Biden has been focused on this since day one, working with Congress. And we have about $9 billion uh, dedicated to prioritizing uh, those water utilities and communities uh, that are on the front lines and are resource constrained the most. Uh, we recognize that that's not enough for every single water utility in the country, uh, but it's a shot in the arm. Uh, so there are, are resources for uh, water utilities. There are dedicated resources, as um, Secretary Beiser mentioned, specifically for smaller rural communities. Um, but there's also resources embedded in our budget. And you will see that as the president advocates for EPA's new budget this year, again, he's asking for more resources to continue to combat this pervasive issue. The second question I asked Administrator Regan was about how under this regulation, there was going to be a lot of PFAS discovered in communities across the country and by their water systems and just how Americans should feel about their water. What I advise is every community uh, closely uh, monitor and stay in touch with what local 
health agencies and, and governments are indicating about the specific levels uh, within each and every community. Uh, you, you will note that Wilmington and communities all across this country have already been proactively making investments, the kind of investments to keep communities safe. Uh, I wish that as Secretary of DEQ, I had a partner at the federal level at EPA, we would be here much sooner. Uh, you know, under President Biden's leadership, in addition to holding the polluters accountable and setting regulatory standards, he's worked with Congress to get billions of dollars. If we can mobilize as quickly as possible, we'll be holding our communities or keeping our communities safer sooner rather than later. So just heard from EPA Administrator Michael Regan about the first ever proposed drinking water regulations for PFAS. Uh, you just heard that in, in this podcast here. Uh, he did not announce the specifics of what's, going, what's proposed, so I'm going to share that information now and then share some reaction to it. Uh, so it would regulate PFOA and PFOS as individual contaminants. Uh, and they say those drinking water standards would be four parts per trillion. Uh, remember that EPA put out health advisories uh, many months ago that were actually exponentially lower than that. Uh, so they're, they're proposing four parts per trillion for the drinking water standards, PFOA, PFAS. And then they've identified four other uh, PFAS variants, if you will, PFNA, PFHXS, PFBS, and Gen X. Uh, and they're proposing a regulation to limit any mixture containing one or more of those chemicals. Uh, water systems would use an established approach called a hazard index, uh, defined in the rule, to determine if the combined levels of those PFAS pose a potential risk. So the regulation is going to require public water systems to monitor for these chemicals. It will require systems to notify the public uh, of detections and reduce PFAS contamination if levels exceed those proposed regulatory standards. Uh, EPA says that they believe that the rule implemented over time will prevent thousands of deaths and reduce tens of thousands of serious PFAS attributable illnesses. Uh, so that's the specifics on the announcement that came today. Uh, a lot of reaction to this from me, uh, and I can imagine a lot of the reaction going on in different sectors right now. PFAS is incredibly complex. Uh, this is not going to be reducing that complexity. It's very difficult uh, to measure and test for these things. Um, EPA is going to be under incredible pressure and scrutiny now around these regulations from all different angles. Uh, the sides that think these, these are way too low, we'll, we'll hear that from industry and, and hear that from people taking action against EPA and commenting against this regulation. Uh, public health people and environmental groups might even want these numbers to be lower. Uh, they might want to hear that zero is the acceptable level of PFAS, so there's going to be the pressure on that side. And then a big, a big area is also the water industry, who is now responsible for testing for and treating PFAS, which is very expensive to do. Again, my utility here in Wilmington spent $43 million to put in a granular activated carbon system to treat for PFAS. 
the utility across the Cape Fear River is spending over $100 million on a reverse osmosis system. And so you've got tens of thousands of water systems in this country that are going to have to meet these standards. Where's that money going to come from to build those facilities? Uh, I think that, um, you know, the other thing is that we've heard a lot about is 10 to 20 percent of people's exposure to PFAS comes from water, but 80 to 90 percent of the exposure comes from consumer goods, household products. Uh, what's being done to reduce that source of exposure while things are cranking down on the water side? Um, and so that's that's a key issue. Also, uh, you know. If your bathtub was overflowing, you wouldn't just stand there and bail it out with a bucket. You would shut off the tap first. With PFAS, what's being done to go after the sources of pollution? That's the most affordable, effective way to reduce PFAS, is to go after the source. So what's happening with those polluters is another thing that's going to be looked at in, as part of this puzzle. So lots more to come. Uh, very, very big day for water. Very exciting day. It's clearly important to, to get chemicals out of our water and to make people safer. But this story is, has taken a big turn and it's going to continue. Could you talk a little bit about how utilities now that they have to meet, going to have to meet these lower levels in drinking water, how they can go about improving their treatment, especially from a funding perspective, just what that might look like? Sure. Well, the first step is knowing what we're dealing with. And so one of the steps that we took after EPA released the roadmap and we knew that they are moving towards drinking water standards, we looked at um, what the levels were in the 2019 North Carolina Collaboratory mm. testing that was done of all the county municipal systems, mm -hmm. um, knowing that the health advisory levels were showing very low levels of um, recommended um, uh, levels. It was four parts per quadrillion and 20 parts per quadrillion for people yeah. fast. Very low. Very, very low. <laughs> so we looked at all of them that were at four parts per trillion and above, looking at that minimum um, testing level and a minimum technical level. And what we found is the majority of the 50 systems um, still do have levels at or above four parts per trillion. Okay. Which shows that we're going to have a lot of work to do in North Carolina to come into compliance. Mm. And as you heard the administrator say, he's hoping to finalize the rule by the end of this year and then there's three years to come into compliance. We know from the experience of folks like Cape Fear Public Utilities Authority that these are not overnight projects. And so what we're focused on is looking at all the federal resources available to us. So right now, through the bipartisan infrastructure law, we have about $25 million per year over five, each year for five years for PFAS. We know that's not nearly enough, but it's a little bit of a shot in the arm, as the administrator said. We're also very excited, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, the administrator and I were in um, Jones County for his announcement on um, $2 billion nationwide for small rural and disadvantaged communities. That equates to $61.7 million for North Carolina. So that is an important number because folks like Maysville, who had levels of uh, PFAS in their water, um, likely attributable to AFFF, or the mm. firefighting foam, mm, right. um, they spent $1.2 million for their system. Mm. Very small system. Mm. I believe um, what the local officials there told me was it would be $2,500 per household if they were to distribute that funding across wow. their residents. That's not um, sustainable. That's mm -hmm. not something that most residents in our state can afford. So we're excited to have that $61.7 million to help those especially small, rural, and disadvantaged communities. We think that will go a long way. 
We're also in, um, engaging our federal partners to see what else we can do to partner with them mm. and to also make sure that industry is at the table for these discussions. About stopping sources of PFAS pollution, especially industrial discharges, what's happening on that front? So the most economical way to, to address PFAS is to address it at the source, prevent it from getting into the environment in the first place. And so that's why with all the new industry, we're excited about all the new industry sure. coming to North Carolina. North Carolina's named the number one state in the country for doing business by CNBC last year. At the same time, with all these companies coming in, we're asking questions about PFAS of every one of them. Mm. And so we're making sure that we prevent another commerce from happening in the future. Mm. So that's step one. The second step is we're also looking at what's already out there and what are potential ongoing sources of contamination. For example, yesterday, we sent a letter out to um, the, the solid waste sanitary landfills saying that we're gonna start requiring PFAS testing in their, um, in their analysis of their leachate. So we're looking at sources like that. We're looking at other um, industrial dischargers that may have PFAS in their, in their um, discharges that are coming out or their emissions. So we're starting to look at where do we think sources are ongoing in addition to making sure that we're preventing it from happening with the, all the new industries that are coming into the state. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Absolutely. Appreciate it. I just want to get your reaction uh, to this announcement today, especially what it means for water and people's health as that relates to water. That's right. So, Travis, so good to see you. Yeah, you too. Water Loop and the work that you do. Um, today is a major announcement. I uh, joined Administrator Regan and Secretary Beiser and Manager Shimada Brown in Maysville several weeks ago. Mm. And uh, there, I was able to join and give comments around the, the billions, the $2 billion, right, that's been released nationally. And today's a follow-up to that. Mm. Um, you have the PFAS roadmap, but today is about limiting the amount of PFAS that can be legally, right, emitted. Mm. Uh, when we talk about four parts per trillion, all those, you know, kind of <laughs> abstract numbers and names, it really is about, you know, lowering it to a point where it's not detectable, right? And that's, we want zero but very happy with four. Mm. Um, at this point, it's one step forward. It's not, we can't stop here, mm. but this is the, the most historic and the, the, the largest stride that any US EPA has made uh, in the 40 years that PFAS, PFOA and PFOS has been in consumer goods and products and our waterways. And my great uncle retired from DuPont. Oh, wow. So as a native North Carolinian, as a, a woman from community whose uncle, you know, it's a part of our community. Sure. And so we we trusted the corporation and not so much trust the corporation, we trusted the promise of jobs, mm. the promise of economic prosperity, but we didn't realize we would be trading in our health and yeah. our you know lives. I guess a real key now is getting funding to these communities so they can put in treatment to meet these levels, right? That's like a big piece in my mind. That's, that's right. And there's different tiers of government, right? And I mm. say this is a, you know, an active um, you know, policy analyst. I was a community activist on PFAS for the past five years. I was the first uh, North Carolinian to launch a town hall on PFAS outside of NCDEQ and worked with Secretary, uh, when he was Secretary Regan, at the level of DEQ. So when we talk about funding, we've been working through ARPA, through IRA, through EJA. We're having to literally tackle this pollution and multiple consumer goods. And for communities who are food insecure, North Carolina is 80% food insecure. So when we talk about food insecurity and fast food, that's PFAS contamination. But are we talking about it in Health and Food Administration and the funding that we're receiving through Health and Food Administration to the state of North Carolina? So this is one part in having an actual federal leader that comes from the South, that comes from North Carolina, that comes from Goldsboro, right? Massively contaminated by another issue, which was coal ash. We absolutely need funding, but it also comes down to a government approach that 
there isn't a, a clearinghouse for community to say, well, do I call this local elected mm. leader? Do I call this local department and get this amount of money that just came from ARPA funds? Mm. So it's we're having to, as activists, we're actually having to host all kind of workshops to even teach people how to apply for Put money. Put that puzzle and together. And we've been doing that for two years. Yeah. We've yeah. been preparing, and we have to keep going because the money is being dispersed until 2026. But if we are not on the ground being supported as activists, as educators, as folks who live and breathe North Carolina, then the money's not going to get to our people because government doesn't know where we are. Mm. It starts at the top, but it also is contingent on the people's power. And the reason PFAS is a national movement is because of the people's power. It's because we were protesting. It's because we did a tour here several years ago that it actually reached the White House. It actually reached from North Carolina. We started here. We brought the White House here. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for all the work you do, and there's more to come. Thank you, Travis. Good right. to see you. You too. Always. So, Emily, a big day here for PFAS, announcing these na you know, proposed national standards for drinking water. You've advocated for this issue strongly for six years or so. What's your reaction to this news? It's surreal. I mean, I honestly never really thought the day would come. We had kind of lost hope in the EPA and we'd lost hope in kind of the regulatory process. We really felt like the whole system was broken. So to to have Administrator Regan come here and recognize all of the work, and I know that this is not just Wilmington, it's not just Clean Cape Fear, that this has been a team effort with so many communities across the nation demanding action. Um, it really is a monumental moment, especially when we're looking at what was proposed. Mm. This is huge. Mm. This is a game changer for clean drinking water. It's a game changer for health protective drinking water. And I think what's ultimately um, interesting is that this should be the normal. This shouldn't be the exception to any life. This should be what, what, we, what we always achieve to have. Like this should be something that Americans wake up and can regularly trust that their government is going to do everything possible to protect their health. Mm. I, I'm curious about what you think the next steps are from an advocacy perspective, uh, you know, what that means for you. Uh, where, do you where do you go from here? Yeah, Clean Clean Fears had three pretty core values, and that's to stop all PFAS exposures, to understand and unlock all the health risks that are associated with our existing exposures, and then to make sure that the polluter pays their fair share. And so there's still other PFAS exposures that we are concerned about, food, uh, we just, in air and, and consumer products, and so we're fighting really hard to try and end our our exposures to those types of chemicals and then we're also working to make sure that we understand the health risks from these exposures because we deserve health equity when we talk to our doctors. We deserve preventative health care and measures to make sure that we have a fighting chance uh, at the best possible life. Mm. One of the other, I think, big steps is getting uh, treatment in place at utilities to meet or beat these standards, right? We live in communities that are spending a lot of money, our money, to do that. Is there a role in advocacy for you in, in trying to get funding to the utilities and communities so they can provide cleaner water? Yeah, I mean, we are always partnering with the uh, well-established uh, environmental advocacy groups and health advocacy groups that have really been working hard on this topic for, mm. for decades. Mm. And that's our goal. Our goal is to just make sure that there is um, that there is access, that this isn't a funding issue or this isn't an economic issue. And it's my understanding that there are already enough <laughs> existing laws that if they were just implemented and enforced correctly, our situations here would be better. I mean, you know, when we look at communities like Pittsburgh, 
their water is contaminated because of the utilities upstream of that community are not doing their fair share. And so if everybody did their fair share to protect our drinking water sources, if we treated them as sacred as they really are, then it wouldn't cost so much to try and clean the water at the tap level. And I think we all need to remind ourselves that is whoever's causing the problem should pay for the, pro for the solution. You're in the water loop. Thank you.